Ambos is a proud family-run business that has been bringing safe access to roofs and other elevated areas to the Australian market for over 43 years. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, part of the Architecture and Design Network. You can see more, hear more on www.architectureanddesign.com.au. My name is Branko Melody and today we will be talking about Victoria University's Academic Tower, which is an amazing development and a beautiful, beautiful design down in what, what we're calling these days sunny Melbourne. And we have two guests here today, but first, the, the development of the Victoria University Tower comprises about, well, roughly about 35, almost 35,000 square metres of gross floor area over 30 levels, and it, which allows university to consolidate a number of existing CBD facilities into a unified contemporary building. The building uh, design represents the forward-thinking aspirations and visions of the university. The tower format is a modern evolutionary way of delivering high-density campus on a tight inner-city footprint. Its sculpted shape adds a new dimension to the precinct, as well as responding and integrating with the immediate surrounding area. And our two speakers today are... Claire Conan and Stuart Locke. So Claire Conan is the Senior Associate and Architect with Woods Baggett. For over 20 years, Claire has been a leading and ground uh, has been leading groundbreaking projects for local and international clients with a particular passion for science and, edu and educational projects. Claire works to push the boundaries of these topologies while exceeding the expectations of clients and end users alike. So, welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Claire Conan. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. And our next victim, no, dare I say guest, is Stuart Locke, Principal of Jackson Architecture. Stuart commenced working with the practice in 2001 and during this time has developed a thorough understanding of all project phases. Stuart has worked across different project types, including sports, health, Research, residential, and of course, educational projects. So, welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Stuart Locke. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be with you. Okay, you. we'll start with you, Stuart, because um, I think uh, the, way I, the way I've got my questions will probably work better that way. So, so tell me. I mean, I've looked at the design. The Victoria Tower design is actually, I mean, if you don't mind me saying, I'm not an architect. I, I, I couldn't design lunch, really. But <laughs> it, it reminds me of, 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 a, um, of, a, of a quartz crystal growing mm. out of the, growing out of a, like a, in that cave type thing. So tell me about the process by which you came up for this design. Yeah, well, that's actually not a bad way of describing the building when you sort of look at it from... Um you know, the Queen Street, little Lonsdale Street intersection. It does look like it's being sort of carved and, you know, shaped like, like a bit of a jewel in the, in the, in the city. Um, but um, to sort of go way back, this is a project which came into our office back in uh, 2011. So we're now at 2022. So it's a, it's a project basically 11 years in the making. Um, and we were quite fortunate to um, be approached by Victoria University and they um, gave us the, the, the big task of sort of designing this vertical campus for them. So we're extremely sort of proud and, you know, and relieved somewhat to sort of 
have this building fully complete after such a such a long journey. But you know, um, our found, founding father Daryl Jackson was heavily involved in the project uh, early days, um, way before I sort of came onto the project. I only came onto the project back in uh, 2018, August 2018. So there's quite a lot of history before I sort of um, set foot on, on the project. Um, but the the reality is that Daryl Jackson and, and the crew back in the back in 2011, you know, we very close with VU. And uh, the vision was to sort of create a vertical campus, uh, as you said earlier, consolidating uh, a number of uh, VU sites, uh, which are currently or were currently located around Melbourne. Um, and, you know, it's a, it a great opportunity to basically, you know, bring all those uh, programs to, to the one site. And one of the main aspects of the site was the fact that you know, it, was, it was very tight, a very tight site. Um, and the uh, the original site conditions had um, two sort of early 1900 um, health related buildings, um, which one was totally demolished and one was partly retained as part of this uh, redevelopment that we did. Um, but what we were really sort of keen to focus on when we started designing the building is to sort of um, you know really appreciate, acknowledge the the history of the site. Um, and, and the urban fabric that you know this new tower is going to be sort of a part of. Um, you know that we we've got the former records office sort of immediately east of the of the tower. And you know when you when you see this building from you know the Queen Street, Little Lonsdale Street um, intersection, you know the, the tower I think um, is, is a is a wonderful contrast to the urban and the historical fabric of the records office and you've also got the titles office sort of adjacent to that as well so to see the old early 1900 sort of architecture with the contemporary tower that we've developed you know I think it's a fantastic sort of outcome for for Mel and we hope that um, you know VU and ISBT and Claire and everyone else who's lucky enough to sort of see and, and use this building is you know um, is as happy as what we are in terms of how it's all sort of come together. Um, so that site really, I mean, again, I'm not a, I'm not an architect, but I, even, even I could realize that site was like, it was really tight. You know? um, how did you, like, did you use, what kind of technology do you use to like to get that, that site or ideas, does it be technology to get that site yeah. or to get that design on that site? I mean, you know, that's, I guess, as an architect, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you have to, you have to obviously utilize, or you try and utilize as much of the site as you can, as all well, offsets and, you know, all sorts of laws and stuff that, you, you know, you, you need in terms of how far away can you, you can be from this and that. But how did you end up coming up with that design? Um, did you use some sort of te uh, technology or, or was it, inspiration from from other designs you you've known over the years or, or how did you come about that yeah well the first consideration was to sort of determine you know how can this really tight site be sort of maximized to its fullest um the original site had a uh, a central laneway called samson lane which sort of bisected the site and that's where each of the two existing buildings uh, that are on the site were basically either side of that laneway so immediately we realized that well to have a an outcome which was sort of um, viable both from a functional and financial perspective, we really had to um, look at relocating that 
that laneway or removing it. Um, and our final sort of design outcome really looked to relocate that to the eastern side of the site. That gave us an opportunity to open up that particular part of the site to both pedestrians and also uh, vehicles. Uh, and so that shared pedestrian vehicle um, uh, area basically leads down to the down to the basement. So if you go directly off Little Lonsdale Street, turn into the driveway, then it takes you down into the basement. It also provides some good opportunities for um, uh, pedestrian interaction with the side connections to Little Lonsdale Street and also Queen Street as well. And then from there, once we started to sort of manipulate, you know, the laneways and um, we basically extruded the form based on setback requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go through a process in our office where, you know, Daryl's very um, keen to get the yellow trace out. So not so much latest technology, but very much so um, in terms of being very important from, a, from an earlier design sort of perspective. I love my yellow trace just as much as Daryl. So before we sort of get into know that the rivet and the cad and all the rest of it, we always sort of like start on, on the yellow trace. And um, there were many hours spent with Daryl, you know, um, you know, watching him sort of articulate the building and, you know, uh, balancing the, the function with, with the form, because obviously that's very important in terms of um, the building being successful. You know, it's, it can look fantastic, but functionally, if it doesn't work, then it can look as good as it wants to, but there's always going to be shortcomings um, if it doesn't quite work functionally. That's pretty much how it sort of came about. Um, you know, a bit of yellow trace, working with the restrictive side, working with the setbacks, working very closely at the time with the VU in terms of what their sort of functional requirements were. And so that was a starting point and, you know, sort of went all the way through to, you know, fully documenting in Revit, working very closely with Woods Baggett and our other consultants on the team as well. And it wasn't without a lot of blood, sweat and tears that we uh, ended up with uh, what we've got on site at the moment. Ah, uh, yes, Stuart. Tell me, tell me that you're old school without using the words old school. <laughs> um, um, Claire, I, I, I know that you, you thought I'd forgotten about you, but I haven't. So, Woods Baggett, you guys, you guys designed the interiors, yeah? That's right. Now, what process did you use to come up with interiors? Because, you know, at the end of the day, this, you know, this is an educational institution, so it has certain needs and, and, and it has certain things it has to have. It also has a, a lot of wear, wear and tear, I assume. Um, so how did you, firstly, where was the idea for the, for the internals and, and how did you come about that and what was the final result? Um, well, we've used, um, we've done a lot of educational projects previously, so we're quite well versed in designing educational facilities. Um, this project's quite unique because it has a very wide range of different cohorts within the building. So we've got um, library spaces on level one and two. We've got general teaching and learning up through the middle of the building. We've also got, um, and that covers everything from law to business studies, um, so quite academic pursuits. And then we've also got um, Victoria University Polytechnic on the um, upper floors of the building where they're learning um, hairdressing and waxing and um, all kinds of barbering, all kinds of things. You can go there and get a haircut if you want to um, from the students. 
<clears throat> so it was quite a diverse mix of um, user groups, I guess, within the building that we had to navigate. Um, we've used mainly colour and finishes to um, help define different spaces because there are 26 floors that are being occupied throughout the throughout the building. Um, so it's been used two ways, the colour, as a wayfinding mechanism and to promote the different variety of spaces throughout the university. So the inspiration for that was the contextual urban fabric at the site. Uh, we're in a city campus, which is um, unusual for a university in some instances, particularly for a vertical campus. Um, there's laneways, parklands, activity hives, and the historic references that Stuart was referring to before um, where the building's sitting. So these interpretations of these drives the finisher selections and they help to create a sense of place for the tower as well. Um, so we broke the building down into four sort of key areas, um, which was the central stair and circulation spine, the learning and teaching spaces, the staff offices, and the large student hub meeting space, which is a sort of central uh, location on level 10. So each of these was inspired by a different urban fabric. So the central circulation was inspired by the variety of laneways in the area, which is also very Melbourne. Um, and the urban fabric of red brick buildings, which is similar to the existing building retained on site, which Stuart was referring to before. Um, the use of the red, red brick colour was used for the key circulation areas to assist with wayfinding and um, create a vibrancy to the central areas and, and each of the floor plates. Uh, the learning and teaching spaces use a deep blue palette and it gives them consistency across the space and also helps, we think, to invoke some blue sky thinking from the students, hopefully. Uh, the staff officers conversely kind of reference the historic area surrounding the tower, including the original former records office and land titles office, which are immediately adjacent to the site. Um, these areas have a more professional muted colour tone, which separates them from the more vibrant student spaces. So it gives them a more authoritarian um, professional tone. Uh, the student hub meeting space on level 10, it's really the urban interior courtyard of the building. Um, it uses a lot of green tones and colours to differentiate itself from all the other areas of the building and it really references the adjacent outdoor balcony space which is a fantastic space on level 10 where you get amazing views of the city mm -hmm. um, and it allows even within a vertical campus for students to get some good outdoor experience. Um, it becomes a sort of park within the building for relaxation and respite. In 1979, AMBOSS Axis Ladders first designed and manufactured prototypes of pull-down Axis Ladders. This Australian company has no equal when it comes to its safety and certification record. Their longevity in the industry means AMBOSS has learned and perfected the most optimal designs and uses this knowledge in combination with quality materials, professional expertise and exceptional workmanship. And now back to our podcast. Last year sometime I, I, I interviewed a colour expert and I didn't realise how much colour actually plays, like how important it is in, in terms of, you know, internal design. I mean, you know, because I'm, I'm a bloke, everything's beige, I'm fine with that. <laughs> but, um, you know, 
is it's going to be the dummies question for me. Is there a particular palette that you use for educational? I mean, I know you've mentioned some, but is there a particular palette that you use or go to, or is it like job by job? Uh, it's definitely job by job, I would say. We really try to um, make a design intent that matches the um, context of the site and there'll be a, a story behind why we've used a colour. We won't just use a colour for colour's sake. Right. It will be relating to um, the context of the site or an idea about the project. Um, but it definitely does affect people's mood as well. Um, I think the right colour choices can really make or break a project as well. I wonder what it says about my love of beige. Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I was going to say, and I'll actually, I'll actually ask you a similar question at the moment, Stuart. But this was, I guess it is, uh, it's a heritage building. Yeah, so it's kind of it's adaptive re. I mean, it's kind of like the top end of adaptive reuse, isn't it? It's not like oh, how would I put it? It reminds me of what. They did up here, kind of, kind of reminded me of what they did up here many years ago with um, with UTS. Mm. They where they extended the back of UTS and they, but they've kept the facade. But here you've obviously gone in another direction. But mm. in terms of being a heritage building, what is there a specific approach you, you you take when it comes to interior design? And I ask that because. You're limited, aren't you, in terms of because it's a heritage building, right? So you you can't really go around knocking out walls and think. Well, you can, but I mean, you know, not to an extent. So is is is, is there a specific approach you took for this um, particular project? Um, well, the Georgian Revival Red Red Brick Heritage Building is located at the front of the site. Mm -hmm. and it's got frontage to Little Lonsdale Street. It's a two-story building, so it's um relatively small compared to the rest of the project. Right. Um, and it was originally the Women's Venereal Disease Clinic. Mm. So nice. the health department built this in 1919 oh, to wow. service the nearby sort of black slum brothel district of the Little Lonsdale area, and it also supplemented the men's VD clinic on Lonsdale Street. So it was built as a direct response to a public health crisis brought on by soldiers returning from World War One, who brought this social disease with them. So they didn't just bring um, Spanish flu, they brought VD as well, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, so the number of cases skyrocketed in 1917-18 in and it became a major health crisis. Um, and then an another building adjacent, built in 1927, the TB Clinic, sort of represented the beginnings of state-sponsored treatment of deadly diseases that are now almost forgotten, which is quite topical in our current pandemic status. It is actually, isn't it? Um, so it was, it was quite important to keep um, as much of the original site as, as possible and that's resulted in the in the old VD clinics remaining on site. So it, it part of it is the sort of social history of it and remembering that even though we forget that these diseases exist in a sort of current context, um, they were quite, quite devastating at the time. Um, so that building's been retained and incorporated into the design of the city tower. So on the ground floor, it forms part of the foyer space and it will include a cafe. Um, on level one, it forms part of the VU library space. So it's on a, a different level to the rest of level one. So immediately as you step down and enter the space, you sense that you're entering a different space to the more contemporary tower building. 
and it's been designed to provide a quiet respite space from the busier, more social library areas. So we've provided seating along the edges of the space as individual study spaces. Mm -hmm. You can get views out over the plane trees of Little Lonsdale Street to the south through the existing windows, and so you get a good connection to the street. Um, the finishes we've used in this space are more subdued. We've got an olive green paint finish to the walls and timber seating with a rich brown fabric. Um, and the existing raking ceiling forms retained to add height to the space and highlight the original features. So it's been incorporated into the building, but it's really been treated as something unique and different in its own right. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. I've got to say, though, and I, I, I think I think we, we, we this is the first. This is the first podcast after about 120 that I've actually used, or we've used the term VD clinic in, in one. <laughs> Interesting, um, Stuart. Um, on the point of heritage, you've said um, that in order to integrate with the existing heritage buildings and immediate surrounding urban massing, the facade has been articulated and folded to create a distinctive form whereas the mass and shape has been broken to distinguish upper and lower um, elements to create an offset layering expression, which required enhanced construction methods for delivery. Now, Archispeak um, aside, what are some of those enhanced construction methods that you're talking about? Can you tell me more about those? Yeah, well, the if you, if you sort of venture out to Little Lonsdale Street, um, You'll see that the southern facade of the building is highly articulated. Uh, we have a number of uh, levels which um, do cantilever quite significantly um, and do respond directly to the retainment of the, of the heritage building. And from a sort of construction sort of perspective, um, when you are working with um, a retained heritage building, you basically need to come up with construction methods to um, work around that. So obviously there's scaffolding techniques, et cetera, et cetera, um, which you sort of implement um, to basically allow you to work directly above that. Probably a construction expert would probably be able to provide you a little bit more sort of technical sort of information, but that was one of the main sort of complexities with the construction, um, particularly over the heritage. And in terms of like um, what we've also done with the, uh, the floor making the tower to sort of further sort of um, you know, respond to, to the heritage. Um, that was really another sort of um, reason for sort of locating that uh, driveway on the, on the eastern side of the site as well, just to provide that relief to the adjacent uh, former records office building. And if you head out to site, you'll see that the, uh, that the, the form basically uh, inclines um, towards the west, which really does open up that part of the, the, the site, just so that our big tower isn't sort of overwhelming the, 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 the two or three level sort of records office. So, you know, it's, it's great to do a brand new development. We're always conscious of you know, responding to, to, to the heritage fabric because you know, it's an important aspect of Melbourne. It's very historical, um, you know, it represents um, Melbourne when it was very affluent, um, sort of on the back of gold, gold rush money, etc. You know, we have a, we're really very lucky to have a number of um, historical public buildings which um, have been retained and refurbished. So what we didn't want to do is compromise that, um, and, and we think we've sort of found that right balance between you know new contemporary 
responding to sort of old historical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did you learn from this build? And, and is there anything that, like, in terms of design and in terms of application, is there anything you can take to, like, maybe other other projects? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't undersell, um, you know, how difficult the functional planning of this building was um, due to the tight site constraints. Um, we always had sort of in the back of our mind as we were developing this that, you know, we want to provide uh, as large a footprint for NLA as possible for ISPT and for VU to basically have a building which is sort of fit for purpose and provides them with as much space as they would need, you know, to satisfactorily, you know, um, provide the services that they do to their their students. So what we tried to do is we really um, worked our way through um, the the base building elements, like the the lifts, the the amenities areas, storage, et cetera, really um, highly uh, resolve those areas to make them as efficient space-wise as possible. Sometimes to our own detriment, there were some areas there where we're very, very tight. We always used to say that this building has been designed to the millimetre. Um, and But that was always with sort of having um, the client sort of uh, and, and, and VU sort of in mind to sort of offer them and provide them with bang for buck, if you like. Um, so, but in terms of, you know, taking those learnings into, into, into further projects, I think with each project, project that you do, um, there are things that you learn from um, there and you perhaps make mistakes that you think, you know what, I'm not making that mistake again on the next project. And that's the beauty of, you know, practicing architecture for a number of years, for, for me over 20 years, that uh, you pretty much don't want to make same mistake twice. So for each project, there's learnings. Um, and for this particular project, it's my first tower. So I'll put that on the table. And so I like to think that I've been, um, I've really taken a lot out of this project. And I think it would definitely sort of hold me in good stead for projects of this similar type in the future. There was, there was definitely challenges along the way. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't change any of it. It's been a fantastic project to work on and uh, hopefully everyone um, agrees. Okay, so Claire, um, looking at the pictures, I was just going through the pictures of the internals. Um, there's, also, there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration, isn't there? There's um, light, mm-hmm. there's obviously space. I guess even more so these days with with the pandemic and now we're, we're very conscious of, of personal space and you know and, and having that that one and a half meters or whatever um, around us, but um, and there's also the issue of you know, you know sound and whatnot, acoustics, all sorts of acoustics, I guess. What what specific concepts did you did you think uh, look at when it came to those those attributes, and would you have approached the design the same way if the building was horizontal? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I guess um, typically university campuses kind of consist of a series of buildings situated within a large area of land. Um, and then the sort of interstitial spaces between each building become the meeting spaces for students and staff when moving between classes. But in a vertical tower, 
as you're always contained within the one building as you move in between your different classes. Um, those interstitial spaces have to sort of be formed on each floor instead. Um, so it makes it quite a unique proposal. Um, so what we've done on this project is to help with orientation because sometimes you can lose track of which floor you're on because as you look outside you're always looking at the same view it's just slightly higher or lower depending on where you are so it, it can be hard to get orientated as to where you are in the building so to help with that we've sort of changed the color of the seating slightly on each floor so that students can intuitively know if they're on a different setting to the floor below or above um, it's more necessary because if you're in a large sort of horizontal building as you move through it you'll get different views out of the window as your view changes so you, you sort of need that more so we've also sort of exacerbated that with the planning as well so that as you come out of the lift you always get views to the outside so you can kind of orientate yourself within the building um, the internal stair I guess is a much more important means of moving around between classes instead of going outside in between buildings you to move around you have to go up and down the stairs so it's very wide, so it's inviting to use and it allows for people carrying bags and backpacks and things which you have in student facilities to easily pass each other. Mm. Interesting. So and that, that, is, that is a point what you said about, you know, about, <laughs> about vertical buildings because um, that's now becoming, uh, dare I say, there I use the, the, the F word, fashionable um, mm -hmm. education projects. Is, I, I don't know about Melbourne. Actually, there was one in South Melbourne recently open from memory, a vertical school. Yeah. Um, there's one here in Parramatta that opened a year or so ago. And in terms of, and I'm gonna open this uh, this question up to both of you. Um, in terms of like, I assume you've, 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 I know you've worked on both <laughs> horizontal and vertical buildings, um, but A, um, which one do you prefer working on? And B, from your experience now, which one do you think works better for for educational um, institutions? That's a good question. Um, I'll probably start with that one. Um, in terms of what building I prefer to work on, but um, predominantly in my career, I've worked on the more horizontal buildings, to be brutally honest with you. Um, and that ranges from like the education and the research and sporting facilities like Melbourne, um, Melbourne Park Tennis and the MCG, et cetera. Um, so, so as I said earlier, the, the tower for me was a huge learning curve um, and there's different complexities that need to be taken into account, you know, with a, with a vertical tower as opposed to a, a more horizontal. Um, I worked on my very first project. Worked with Daryl Jackson was um, we did a United International School in Hanoi, which was the absolute contrast of what this vertical tower is. It was a massive site, and we and no building was higher than two levels. You know, um, and it was a sprawling site as well. So I think one of the, the main differences would be that you know to be able to go from one area to another is probably a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient in a vertical tower, as opposed to this big, large, falling campus style like Melbourne University and, and the UNIS school that we did in Vietnam. Um, the, the, the way that you need to go from one building to the other is obviously, you know, it, it's a slightly different journey. It's a longer journey because, you know, you have to, you know, go from, from point A to point B and that could take you X number of minutes. So that, that will probably be my 
um, you know, uh, outcomes or learnings from the two buildings. So it's, as I think about it now, my very first project with Daryl Jackson was a, an educational two-level sprawling campus. And my latest project is a is an educational building which happens to be a vertical tower. And that's really only just dawned on me now that that's, you couldn't get anything more contrasting than, than those two. So, um, yeah, but my preference would be that I'm happy to work on any building, horizontal, vertical, love buildings, happy to work on any, no real preference. Um, I guess from our point of view at Woods Baggett, um, we're happy to work on either as well, obviously. I guess vertical, vertical campuses are more challenging in, in educational facilities because um, you need to get students in and out of classes and obviously uh, our classrooms have 30 people in them each. So getting that amount of volume of students up and down a building when it's vertical has some challenges. So that's why the stair becomes so important. Um, BU is quite unique in universities and it, it has a block teaching model. So instead of doing all your classes, like six different subjects over one semester, you'll do one subject for four weeks and then another subject for four weeks, another subject for four weeks. Okay. So um, I think it's quite unique because they, the students seem to get to know each other a lot better. Mm. So the, the kind of spaces that we provide for students to um, kind of those informal learning spaces where they can sit between classes. Um, I've been back to the project to, since it's opened a few times and just seeing how people use the space has been really interesting for us. And, mm -hmm. and it's something that we continue to do when we finish projects to see how what we've done works and what doesn't work so that we learn for next time. But it's also quite unique to each project because these VE students know each other a lot better. We're finding a lot more of them are using the group tables. We're in other universities where people go to a class for an hour and don't, don't establish those relationships as quickly people tend to use more of the um, seat alone together kind of spaces where they might be sitting at a big table, but they want to be with other people, but they don't know anyone well enough to talk to them yet, <laughs> that mm. kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there are challenges with vertical campuses for sure, um, but you equally can have challenges with horizontal campuses of those travel distances like Stuart spoke about you can become quite isolated because you might be in one part of the building you never meet anyone at the other end whereas I guess the, the beauty of the vertical tower is that you all come into the building at the same point mm. you're all going to pass each other at some point so it's it's much more communal I suppose um, so either way is good but yeah. um, each present a challenge yeah I suppose um, with the vertical uh, campus as well you know there's only limited areas where people can sort of congregate like in our one, for example, you've got the ground level four here, you've got the level 10, which are the two sort of main congregation areas where with a horizontal campus, there's hundreds of pockets that people could sort of congregate. So your point's very valid, Claire, that, you know, it probably does bring people closer together because there are those limited opportunities for sort of congregation spaces. That has been fascinating, guys. Thank you very much. No Thanks problem. for having us. And we and we got we got through the uh, we got through the interview without saying without saying the term VD clinic again. <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> Claire, you can use that for your uh, for your advertising for the podcast. Yeah, true. Uh, they'll work well on the SEO. Claire, <laughs> senior associate uh, Woods Baggett um, and Stuart Locke, principal of Jackson Architecture. Thank you very very much for your time. Not a problem. Thanks for having me.
You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. Amboss Access Ladders is proud to sponsor our 2022 education series of podcasts. I'm Branko Melodic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.